Hi, welcome. It's episode two of Smart Talk. It's me, Josh Tesler, and yes, I do not have a Bostonian accent, so I'm sorry. Well, at least I tried, you know, with you know, with the introduction to give you a little bit of the Boston flavor. Um, but yeah, so I have, uh, so but I have two co-hosts with me. I've got Jordan Millette and Paul Zook. Jordan. Hey, it's uh, Jordan Millett here. I'm one of the SMAT com- contributors working on uh, the OHL and the QMJHL is my main focus. Um, so again, back another here for another episode. If you listened last time, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Jordan Millett. Hey guys, it's uh, Paul Zook here. I'm the resident SMAT scout for the USHL, the United States National Development Team, and the Southeastern OHL. Um, looking forward to another uh, good episode here moving forward. And uh, if you guys want to Toss me a follow on Twitter. You can find me at uh, paulzook underscore 81. And once again, I am your host, Joshua Tesler. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Josh Tesler and then underscore. Switch gears a little bit and talk about Rucker McRorty. So there was news uh, a couple weeks back that Rucker was uh, switching his uh, NCAA commitment from Notre Dame to Michigan. And he was not the uh, initial Notre Dame, Michigan swap. Um, I just can't remember who uh, came before him, but there's been a lot of activity in terms of uh, Notre Dame commitments and um, in those commitments uh, decommitting from the, from the Notre Dame program uh, run by uh, Jeff Jackson and uh, moving over to the university of Michigan and, you know, the university of Michigan, as you know, has already uh, fostered a stacked, very, very stacked roster. And, you know, when you look at the talent that they've been able to bring in, you know, when you add a guy like Rucker, I mean, you know, on, you know, on top of, um, you know, on top of a very, very stacked uh, lineup. I mean, I mean, you know, they, you know, they are, very, very much going for, you know, as many frozen four opportunities as, as they can net. And wow, it should be very, very exciting, uh, you know, watching the University of Michigan Wolverines, you know, over the next few years. And uh, what are your guys' thoughts on uh, Rutger moving over to the University of Michigan? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last time with uh, Owen Power um, returning to Michigan. Um, of course, why would you not want to play for University of Michigan with the roster they have? So I'm not going to try to speculate what's going on in Notre Dame or um, if there's skepticism about playing there. I just think Michigan is probably the number one destination for players in the NCAA. And if you have the opportunity to switch over and play on that team, um, you should definitely consider it and take that opportunity because you're surrounding yourself with a great program, great teammates and great coaches and a great program to develop in. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I'm just trying to... Yeah. I'm drawing a blank too as to to who the other person switched. It wasn't Logan Cooley, was it? Past a job switched from, but he went to Guelph. That, yeah, but yeah. I yeah, but I thought I saw another NCAA commit. Maybe it was a 2023 prospect. I just I just can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I mean, I know Adam. I know Adam Vantilli, uh announced his commitment to the university of Michigan, but that, uh, sorry, but that was not a Notre Dame transfer out. Um, you know, that was solely Adam Vantilly, 
you know, declaring his initial NCAA commitment. But I, I just can't remember who um, who the other uh, prospect was that uh, that made the switch from Notre Dame to, to Michigan. Um, just trying to load up on elite prospects and see if I can dig that out. Yeah, it just in the meantime, though, I mean, it just it just keeps spiraling, spiraling out of control, it seems, for the University of Notre Dame men's hockey program. I mean, that's that's a lot of big recruits that have just either flipped the script or committed elsewhere. It's it's interesting to see what's going on there. I'm not uh, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I mean, moving forward, it's not that they're going to be bare. I mean, still committed. They do have Tyler Duke, Dylan Duke's younger brother. They also have Logan Cooley for uh, 22 uh, for the 22, 23 season. Um, so, I mean, it, it's definitely not what they were expecting, but it's not like it's going to be the end of the world either. But uh, just to speak on Michigan there, I mean, it's the rich get richer. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and that actually leads us to our next topic, which is the, um, you know, which is that the NCAA is now allowing um, what is called NIL rights, uh, name, image, and likeness. And, you know, I, I thought about this earlier, um, you know, and I, you know, and I was trying to think of, well, in terms of the switch, um, you know, which programs benefit and, you know, and at, you know, and I thought about this from, you know, from a, um, you know, from a director of athletics mindset. And I'm thinking like, honestly, it doesn't really benefit the programs that were, you know, a little bit on the weaker end, you know, that certainly, you know, couldn't, you know, you know, couldn't break, you know, forward and, you know, become elite programs. It doesn't like, it doesn't really help them out. Um, because I mean, at the end of the day, you know, that has nothing to do with the university's investment, um, you know, in, you know, in the athletics program. And so I, you know, and so I was really, really, you know, sorry. So I was going back and forward and thinking like, well, who, well, who benefits? I mean, in my mind, it's, you know, it's Michigan, it's Wisconsin, it's Boston college, it's North Dakota. But then after there, you know, I, you know, I don't know, you, you know, you know, I don't know what the pecking order is. You know, I mean, there are a lot of schools that have had, you know, great, sorry, you know, great years in terms of their hockey development, um, you know, but, you know, but there are definitely ones that, you know, are just on the cutting edge now and are, you know, and are just and are just coming to fame or, you know, or ones that were a little bit inconsistent for, you know, a few years and, you know, and recently got a, you know, a surge, you know, and there are also a lot of programs that are slowly declining in terms of the popularity. So, you know, it's, so for me, it's really, really hard to, you know, identify which programs in general, I think, you know, I think will, we'll see a drastic benefit, but at the end of the day, I feel like with hockey, you know, you're, you're pretty much looking at like a super four, maybe five, if you add the university of Minnesota, um, you know, as your, you know, as, you know, as the programs that, you know, that really will see a benefit, but, 
at the end of the day, you know, it's, you know, for them, it's probably going to be very minuscule in terms of, you know, any benefit that is coming their way because, you know, they were already at this prestige level. So, you know, at the end of the day for me, I'm thinking it's, you know, five, six, I mean, cause you know, you could throw Boston university in there as well. Um, but you know, it's, you know, it's those six programs that I think, you know, that I think if anything, you know, see any return, um, you know, versus the programs that are, you know, in the medium tier. Um, so, yeah, I, so, you know, in terms of nil, I don't really see, any significant change to, you know, to programs, you know, and how programs are going to build out, but, you know, but what do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree there. I mean, I don't think the name image and likeness stuff is going to have an overly uh, insane amount of effect on men's hockey or women's hockey for that matter. Um, I, I think that was solely based off the fact of college football and how much money is, you know, being spent there and the players wanting a cut. I mean, I totally understand that, but uh, just to speak on a hockey sense, you're, you're completely right. When you say that there's that probably niche of five or six schools that are actually going to see anything from it. And then I think outside of that, one aspect that really interests me is when you have players like, you know, Matt Coronado going to Harvard and stuff like that. When you have players like that going to an Ivy league school, it's really going to be interesting to see how the Ivy school um, teams kind of attack this because obviously their their main focus wouldn't be sports. It's more academics and rightfully so. But just from like a from that aspect, it'll be cool to see if they you know they choose to benefit off of that or if they just kind of you know cast it to the side as if nothing happened. Yeah, I mean, and unfortunately, as we've seen with the Ivy schools, you know they've. You know, I mean, Harvard is really just the only one that's actually, you know, really sparked up. I mean, you know, I mean, like Yale and Princeton, you know, have, you know, have had, I don't know, mediocre success over the years, but, you know, but nothing, you know, but nothing really lately. And so, you know, and so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, you know, what Harvard can do with the NIL. Um, you know, as Harvard has definitely seen a, a lot of success, um, you know, over, you know, over the last few years and, and put up an excellent fight at, uh, at Beanpot last year. Um, but yeah, it'll, um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to see what is in store for the Harvard Crimson and, you know, and, you know, and what comes out of it, you know, in terms of the NIL. Yeah, I don't I don't know the magnitude to which players can get paid or the potential in hockey for how much they'll get paid, but it's possible it could incentivize players to go to the NCAA over the CHL if there is a semi lucrative um, dollar amount on the table for them. If you can convince a player to come to Michigan and make X dollars, it's probably another incentive to leave the CHL and make some money off your name. And again, I don't know how much the potential is to make this money, but just not a little incentive that may get people to leave the CHL. Yeah. I mean, like that, you know, I mean, like that's the other thing too, is like, you know, I also thought about the location factor too, because at the end of, of the day, you know, a program like Boston college might have, um, you know, might've gained a little bit in terms of the NIL 
and solely because, you know, they've already built up a strong reputation uh, in Boston and in Massachusetts in general. And, you know, the advertising uh, potential, you know, should, you know, should Boston College land, you know, a, you know, a top tier uh, collegiate bound, you know, prospect, um, you know, you know, there is a lot of a draw to come to a place like Boston, um, you know, versus going to, you know, a Ohio state, a Penn state, you know, where you're a little bit off the beaten path. And so the advertising component, you know, I don't want to say it dwindles away, but it's not as, you know, it's not as uh, glamorous or, um, you know, or there's a lot less, yeah, or there's a lot less, what you could do with advertising, you know, should you go to a Penn state or a Ohio state where, you know, you know, where you're not in one of, you know, a major city within the, the United States. Uh, but next up, I want to switch to the CHL and talk about Mark Savard. So if you hadn't heard Mark Savard was named the head coach of the Windsor Spitfires. Uh, Savard had played with the Atlanta Thrashers, the Calgary Flames, uh, I believe the Calgary Flames, right? And the, and the Boston Bruins. And um, unfortunately for Mark, you know, his career uh, cut short uh, due to head, uh, his career cut short due to head trauma. And, um, you know, and, you know, and wasn't able to get back, uh, you, you know, health-wise, you know, into, you know, into an ideal state in order for him to come back. Um, but you know, but he has definitely, um, stuck around in hockey. I don't remember if he had a few front office roles, but I, th- I thought at one point he was doing some consultancy work. Um, you know, so he, you know, so he's definitely still involved in the game. And I, you know, and I think this is a great move for him as well as, as well as for the Windsor Spitfires, you know, the, the Spitfires, you know, have, um, you know, have built up a excellent, uh, an excellent roster, you know, with guys like John Luke Foodie, uh, who's a Colorado Avalanche prospect, uh, Will Cooley, who is a New York Rangers prospect, uh, Wyatt Johnston, uh, Dallas Stars. And uh, for the 2022 draft, you've got Ryan Abraham. So what do you guys think about Mark Savard uh, coming, to, coming to Windsor? And uh, how do you think he's going to gel with, uh, you know, with a team that, you know, that, you know, that has a lot to offer in the offensive zone, but, you know, maybe was looking for, you know, inspiration and development from a true NHL playmaker. Yeah, I, I hope it's a sign that uh, he's doing better with concu- with his concussion symptoms. That was the first thing that came to mind uh, because I knew he was struggling with that. It obviously ended his career short and there was quite a few reports and articles that came out after the fact about what he was dealing with. Um, so hopefully this is a, a very positive sign that he as a person, his health is um, progressing and doing much better than he was a couple of years ago. Um, and of course, having a mentor, a player who's been through the NHL ranks, been in the shoes of the players is always a positive um, to teach these young players or show them the way that sort of stuff. I don't know if he has coaching history, but at least that mentorship side of thing uh, that mentorship side of things um, is beneficial for the players to hear. Other than that, I don't really know anything else about Mark Savard. Um, we played on the same junior B team 
uh, or we played for the same junior B team and I passed them on the all-time points list. The caveat here is that it took me four seasons to surpass what he did in one. Um, but that's just a minor detail that I, I like to leave out sometimes. <laughs> Talk about a, you know, shameless self-promotion. Holy heck. <laughs> no, but yeah. uh, in, in all honesty, I mean, great for Mark Savard. It's, it's good to see him back, hopefully uh, mentally well. Um, obviously, his career being cut short by head injuries is is sadly becoming more of a common theme among professional athletes nowadays. And it, it's incredibly sad to see, but I mean, it, I think it'll benefit not only him, but it'll benefit the young minds in Windsor as well. I mean, uh, Jordan, you were saying you weren't sure if he had any coaching history. He was an assistant with the blues uh, a couple seasons ago. I don't believe he was there last year, but uh, I mean, there's a lot of offensive minds in that spitfire locker room right now. And I mean, who better to help them kind of develop their offensive game than a guy who was pretty much over a point of game player for the majority of his career. So I, I personally, I think it's a great fit and uh, it's going to be interesting to watch them this season to see how uh, they play under. Great. And uh, next up on the list, I want to shift to the USHL. So, um, you know, so last time we talked a little bit about the U S national team development program. Um, and this time around, you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to look beyond uh, the U.S. national team development program and, you know, and look, you know, and look at, you know, the stronger players um, and sorry, and by players, I mean teams in the USHL, um, you know, and, you know, for instance, I mean, can the Chicago Steel repeat, you know, they constantly have an excellent group of um, sorry, group of prospects. And so, you know, and so it's hard to imagine seeing the Chicago start to lose that, uh, sorry, you know, start to lose that high touch competitive edge. Um, but, in, you know, but what do you guys think about the Chicago Steel and their chances to repeat? Yeah, I mean, you look at their the players they lost, you know, if you want to include Owen Power in there, how many first rounders did they have, right? They had a bunch. So it's going to be kind of like a changing of the guard, so to speak. But, I mean, they're returning a lot of the players they had last year that played in, I'd say, pretty significant roles. I mean, you got Adam Fantilli back, of course. Um, you're going to have probably Jackson Blake back. Um, you know, guys like Dawson Pasternak, Jake Levinavage, uh, Lucas Gustafson, barring any other deal he signs maybe with Toronto um, after their rookie camp. But – they have another player coming up. His name's Nicholas Moldenhauer, um, 17-year-old from Mississauga. And he's out of the Toronto Titans Triple uh, uh, A uh, league in the GTHL. But uh, last season, he actually played for North Jersey Avalanche in the um, AYHL. And he had an absolutely amazing season. And uh, he, he joined up with the Steel for a cup of coffee at the end of the year. But it'll be interesting to see how his development uh, kind of continues and hopefully takes a significant rise, let's say. And they also have uh, Jake Liva Vonavaj, um, yeah. who, you know, who played for uh, Team USA at the Holinka Gretzky. Um, and what do you and Paul, what do you think of Jake so far? I, I like Jake's game. I mean, I think he's a pretty solid defender. Um, it'll be interesting to see him in more of a 
um, expanded role this year. I think he'll get a lot more ice time because I thought he had a pretty solid showing at the Holinka where I think the U.S. kind of didn't, you know, have their best game. But I still think he looked relatively strong. So, I mean, it'll, it's going to be fun to follow them this year as it is pretty much every year. I mean, the USHL is one of those leagues that's on a significant rise right now where you see every year more and more kids are getting selected, especially in the first round too. And not just out of, you know, Chicago or the. Yeah. With Chicago, um, obviously I don't think there's too much to think about Adam Fentilly leaving to North Bay. I think that was purely a speculative trade for a couple of years down the road. Maybe he comes over. Um, but of course that would goes without saying that would be a huge hit if they lose him. Um, but when you have, when you have guys like him coming back and some of their names that Paul mentioned, um, you have to just think they're going to be a powerhouse again. I personally really like Lucas Gustafson. Um, I was hoping he'd get drafted this year, but hopefully he gets a bigger role on the team next year, plays in all the games and um, can really take over. Uh, he's someone that I'm really looking forward to see how they do. Another USHL player that I really liked last year, um, I believe he's uncommitted. So looking to see how he does in his next season, but Gavin Brindley with Tri-City. Um, I caught him in passing a few times last year as a D minus two, and he really caught my eye. So if he has a huge D plus one season, I'm excited to see if he goes the Michigan route or commits anywhere else fun. But I believe he was on the USHL all rookie team, which is pretty impressive as a D minus two player. I think he might've been the only one. Um, but yeah, a D minus two player that catches your eye and gets played big minutes in the playoffs and whatnot um, is pretty impressive. So I'm looking forward to see what uh, he does next season. Are there any other USHL clubs that, you know, that you believe that fans, you know, should pay, you know, special attention to, um, you know, aside from the Chicago steel. Yeah, there's a, there's a few names that I'm uh, really looking forward to kind of keeping an eye on this year and seeing how they develop. Uh, one guy, his name's Cameron Lund. He plays for green Bay. Uh, he's a huge I think he's a huge body for his age. I mean, he's 17, he's 6'2", 181. He's a center. Just catching a little bit of film on him, really strong player. I uh, played for the U.S. Um, at the Holinka this year as well. Uh, had five points in four games. And he's, a, and he's a Massachusetts kid, right? Yep. Yeah, he's from Bridgewater, and he's committed to Northeastern for the 2022-23 season. So, I mean... He's going to be one name I'm going to want to follow along with this year. Um, another name is defenseman Ryan Healy, plays for Sioux Falls. Um, another mass kid, he's from Hull, another big body, 6'1", 170 at 17. So it's going to be interesting to see if he has kind of like a growing spurt this year just to see how he plays. And he's committed to Harvard for 2023 um, as well. So a couple names there and then got to throw another uh, national team development program kid in Jimmy Snuggerud. I was catching some film today on uh, Devin Kaplan and Snuggerud actually stole the spotlight from a few of the games I was watching. He just incredible talent there. Um, plays pretty much anywhere up front. Um, he's from Chaska, Minnesota, 17 years old, 6'2", 185. So, I mean, he's looking really, really solid. I, I can definitely see him climbing up some draft boards as the season progresses. Next up, we're going to shift over to Europe, and we're going to talk about Danilo Yurov. So Danilo Yurov has been playing for uh, Metallurg uh, Magnagorsk. Uh, hopefully I said that right. Um, and, you know, D- Danilo Yurov, you know, as I mentioned, 
in the first episode, you know, he's definitely caught my eye. And, you know, and he's definitely a excellent two-way forward, uh, power forward, and, you know, and loves, you know, and loves to engage in puck battles in the corners. For whatever reason, Maya Tallerg, um, you know, hasn't really been, you know, that consistent with his minutes. I think, you know, I think he's proven in, you know, in his small average uh, time on ice, you know, uh, you know, in his... A- in his time on ice, you know, that, you know, that he can be, that he can be effective. And I don't know why we're seeing, you know, a lot of inconsistency in terms of his time on ice. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I get the fact that Metallurg, you know, wants, you know, wants him as their extra skater, you know, and, and wants him as their extra forward. But at, but at the same point, is that really the smart play? I mean, you know, if he's, you know, if you've got a 17, 18 year old prospect and, you know, and you're trying to give him as much development as possible, you know, this, you know, this is completely different than what we saw a couple of years ago with Lucas Raymond and Noel Gundler. Um, you know, you know, you know, this is completely different, you know, this, I mean, you know, yeah, so this is a completely different league. Um, and it's a completely different player. And at the end of the day, I question whether or not, you know, giving Yurov, you know, inconsistent minutes is, you know, is the best thing for his development. And, you know, and so I wonder if it's time for Metaller to consider moving him down. And, you know, and I don't want it to sound like, the player is in cage already because I mean, cause the player is cage already, but at, at the same point, if you're looking at, you know, a prospect of year stature and you're saying, okay, well, he's going to go up for three minutes one night and then four minutes the other night and then five minutes the other night and then back to three minutes and then, and then six minutes, there needs to be some consistency. And I don't think giving him, three to five minutes a night of ice time is really going to do wonders for his development. In fact, I think it's going to stunt it. And at the same point, you're not really getting the offensive play style out of Danilo Yurov when you're essentially saying you're going to go out with my fourth line. Like, so I, I don't, I don't really understand the rationale and I think it's probably time to you know, I think it's probably time for Metallurg to say we need to send this kid down. And I think the MHL is probably too low. I think, you know, the VHL, which if, you know, if you're going to compare the VHL to, you know, to a league that most of our listeners are, um, you know, have a better understanding of, it is the American Hockey League. Um, you know, because in, in Russia, you've got the MHL, which is the Junior Hockey League the VHL, which is not exactly a AHL equivalent, but you're probably looking at like somewhere in the middle between junior and AHL. And then you've got the KHL, which, you know, which is the top professional league in Russia and arguably the second best professional league in the world. And yeah. So what do you guys think about this? Yeah, it feels similar to what we just saw with Fabian Liesel, um, where 
with Lulia, he was playing between three to nine minutes a night, and it kind of depended on the night how he was going to play or how much he was going to play. And it, it's a little bit tough for us to kind of get a read on what the player is capable of when they're playing fourth line minutes in a small role. And I also can't imagine what it's like for the player in terms of like a morale perspective to only play that, um, that small of a role, you, you know, you're capable of doing more and you're not really able to show it because of the role you're asked to play. And uh, it can, it can be challenging, especially in an important draft year uh, to have to play through that kind of adversity. So it's definitely a challenge. Uh, we kind of see this with um, draft eligible players playing in men's pro league where their ice time can fluctuate. It can go down. And uh, I think that kind of confirms why scouts or teams like the CHL so much. They know their players are going to play 20 minutes a night, get power play time, get puck touches. And um, there's a lot more projectability or certainty in the CHL when um, players get 20 minutes a night, even third, fourth, fifth round picks play 20 to 25 minutes a night in the CHL. So Europe is always a tough one, especially with playing in pro league. So I definitely hope he gets more ice time or moves on to a loan to another team or gets sent down and can prove in more ice time what he's capable of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just looking here at, you know, Metalurg's roster, I mean, aside from their third goalie, who let's be honest, is probably not going to see much if any ice time over the course of the season, the next youngest player on the team after uh, Yurov is a 98. So, I mean, it's a five-year age difference between the youngest player on the roster and then, you know, the next youngest. So I'm not really sure what they're thinking when it comes to his development. Um, but yeah, if I'm Danil Yurov, I'm, I'm quite upset with that. I mean, I'd definitely be trying to get a hold of my agent or somebody to figure out, you know, where I can craft my talent, I guess, per se, um, somewhere a little more than an average of three minutes at night. Yeah, I mean, and let's be honest, too. I mean, we don't often see a ton of, you know, draft year, uh, draft eligible prospects, you know, playing in, you know, playing in the KHL, you know, game in, game out. You know, last year was pretty much Nik- Nikita Chibrikov, who, who basically played in the MHL, VHL, and KHL. Um, and I can't remember which stint was longer, but, you know, but there was a decent amount of KHL ice time. And then uh, Kirill Kirsanov, uh, who is a Los Angeles Kings uh, defensive prospect, you know, so, and, you know, aside from them, you know, we, you know, we, we didn't really, really see any, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of draft your draft eligible prospects playing in, you know, playing in the KHL. And this year, I don't know if we're going to, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how many we're going to see, but at this point, you're probably looking at Daniel Yurov and Ivan Mirishnichenko, you know, as, you know, as the two that, you know, warrant, you know, KHL ice time. But beyond them, you know, I mean, you know, you could easily be be looking at just Yurov and Ivan Mirishnichenko, you know, as the two draft year draft eligible prospects playing in the KHL. And I, you know, and I do believe that Yurov is going to, you know, move down. It's just a matter of when, but I think, you know, I think keeping him in this extra forward, extra skater role, it's not, 
you know, it's, you know, it needs to be short term and it, and it can't be long term because if it's long term, well, you know, I, I wonder what, you know, wonder what the development curve is going to look like. And, and that, and that scares me. I like, I really, really like Danilo Yurov. And so I really, really want to see him, you know, get out of this role and get, you know, and get a decent amount of ice time in the VHL. Next up on the list, I want to talk about JYP. So we've got Joachim Kemmel and Brad Lambert. And we touched a little bit on both in episode number one. But recently, the other day, Sultanen over at Dauber Prospects tweeted out, um, sorry, tweeted out a hot take saying that Joachim Kemmel was going to score more points than Brad Lambert during this season in the Liga. And I wanted to ask you guys about that and, um, and get your take on that. And, and do you, and do you think that Kemmel? I think it's possible. Um, just after two games, Kemmel's been playing a few more minutes a night than Lambert. Um, they both play on the power play together. Um, so their points could coincide there, but if he continues playing at five on five, a few more minutes a night, then it's definitely possible uh, to see him score more points this season. That's definitely not out of the question. He definitely likes to shoot the puck a bit more. Um, so again, another reason to think that he could score more points. Um, he has three points to date, which gives him a little bit of head start, but I would say those three points are a little bit on the fluky or lucky bounce side of things. I think one was a tip one. He just kind of shot it from the point and went in and then a scramble assist he got. So um, it might be early to crown a winner, but I definitely think it's possible. And just because one scores more points than the other, I don't think that's a, a lock for Campbell to pass Lambert on, on the draft stock. So uh, they're two different types of player. And I do think it's possible that he could score more, but um, we'll, we'll wait and see on that one. And I think a big thing is how much ice time they get. And if they end up maybe playing together, um, their points may overlap a bit. Yeah. And, you know, and I definitely agree that, you know, you were looking at two different players and I, and I'm going to steal a line from whose line is it anyway, the points don't matter. They just don't matter. Like, I mean, if, you know, if you're, you know, if you're looking at Brad Lambert and saying, you know, he's obviously the, um, you know, he's obviously the stronger 200 foot player, you know, two way forward and, you know, in every you know, in every single shift, you know exactly what to expect out of him. And let's be honest, Brad Lambert has Maddie Beneers like Trace when it comes to the problem solving ability, you know, in crafting his way through the neutral zone. And you know, and Kemmel, Kemmel, you know, at times reminds me a little bit of like a Lucas Raymond. You know, he you know, he loves, you know, he loves to get down low and I just don't see any way that you can make an argument based on points. And yes, he's getting more offensive success, but I think at the same time, it's just, you know, like you just can't base it on points. The points don't matter. The points don't matter. If you're getting the better player, you're getting the better player. Like, and, but at, but at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a toss up and, you know, and anything can happen and what, I mean, they've only played a, like a handful of games all, already. So 
it's so it's really really hard to uh you know it's really really hard to make a bet on a very very small sample size <laughs> yeah and and lambert had uh two very good scoring chances in his first two games that i think could have found the back of the net and he just the bounce didn't go his way and um if those two find the back of the net, maybe we're having a different conversation where, oh yes, Brad Lambert's going to score 60 goals this year or something. Um, but yeah, yeah, like you said with Matty Beniers, I think Brad Lambert, you have that kind of two-way center play driving um, is kind of what he brings to the table, obviously on top of the offense, but that's what really draws me to him is he kind of takes over the neutral zone and the transitional game and um Sometimes that translates to points, other times it doesn't, but um, the line kind of flows through him on the breakouts and the transitions. In this podcast episode, we've also included two interviews that were recorded earlier this week, one from Mark Yates at Instat and the other from Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News. And here they are. So on today's episode, um, I am joined by Mark Yates, who is the Chief Operating Officer from Instat North America. Mark, thank you so much uh, for jumping on today's podcast. Um, yeah, do you, um, yeah, do you mind talking about yourself for a little bit and your background? Yeah, sure. So, well, first and foremost, thanks so much for having me on. Right, uh, very excited to be here. Uh, read a lot about smart hockey and everything uh, over the past. Uh, well. You guys have been a client now for a while, so we followed you pretty closely. But no, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, pretty much, you know, avid hockey person. I would say that's my favorite part of the Instep business is following hockey and making sure that I'm hands-on there every single day in North America specifically. Uh, started out playing, played up through junior hockey uh, near you, up in Nashua, Tingsboro, uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, Tingsboro, Massachusetts, right on the border there at Skate 3. It was a little cold in the winter, but always a, a lot of fun to play there. Then once I stopped playing, I, you know, I immediately got into coaching while I studied. And then that led to, you know, a few roles in, I was the director of uh, video uh, operations at UMass Lowell. I think before anybody really hired like a, you know, a student to be the video coordinator or whatever. I did that for a year and then I went on and I coached junior hockey for a couple of years and then went to Ukraine and um, came back here and started scouting for Bobby Smith in Halifax. Uh, I kind of learned that I really liked the scouting role more than the coaching role per se. And the, I wanted to chase the front office more than I wanted to be behind the bench. It was just something that I enjoyed a lot more. So scouted for Bobby and Cam Russell up in Halifax for a few years while also doing one year of NHL Central Scouting in the New England area. And then moved out to Cleveland and scouted for Mississauga for a couple of years when I got a, a job in baseball, a full-time job in baseball, working, um, you know, the, the mark tickets and marketing and sales, corporate sales, et cetera. And then moved on to uh, Muskegon, where I was director of player personnel and doubled there with Florida Panthers as an underage scout for one year and had a good amount of success there. And then, uh, then left all of that behind and joined on with iceberg instats competitor for a year and then made the jump to instat and i've been there for two years and uh yeah it's been a it's been a wild ride but a lot of fun yeah i mean and you guys have been growing quite a bit i mean over 
I mean, over like the last two years, um, you know, we, you know, we absolutely love your platform and, you know, and use it consistently for, uh, you know, for video scouting. And um, yeah, so um, yes. Yeah, so what is new with you guys? And, um, and, you know, are there, you know, are there, are there new features that you guys are, are coming out with? Um, well, I would say that uh, first and foremost, the credit goes to the team around me, right? Not to even be humble or cliche. Uh, you know, we, we have a great staff of hockey sales managers in North America and they work really hard. I mean, it's seven o'clock and I'll get off this computer, this call and I'll have 20, 25 messages from them ensuring that clients are taken care of, right? So they hold me accountable as much as I hold them accountable because we all work extremely hard. And that's been, that's helped the growth along with the approach that we've all bought into of just being nice people, right? When somebody asks us a difficult question, we can, we can be mean, we can say no, we can say that. But, you know, the Houston Rockets owner, the guy who owns all the restaurants and is a billionaire, he wrote a book, Just Say Yes, and it's, you know, and whenever we can, we just say, yes, we want to be good people to our customers and good uh, members of the hockey ecosystem. So that is the reason for our growth, the team and what they bought into and the hard work that uh, they have um, done for the last year and a half, 18 months or so. I'd, I would say that, yes, we have taken off significantly. We're very proud of that. Now, regarding what's going on in the future, um, I I can't give away all the secrets, right? But, you <laughs> yeah, know, we, <laughs> yeah, we, right now, I, I won't lie, it's uh, it's expanding out our production, right? So we've taken in so many games that we have to grow our production service to handle all the games that all of our clients need. In COVID, it was a little bit different because they didn't all come at once, right? There were stops and starts and everything. Now it's all coming at once because everybody's coming back. And that's what we're really focused on in this company is making sure that we can get everybody their games in the allotted amount of time. And it's going well, you know, it's going well this far. Um, and it'll continue to improve here as we edge out the preseason, right? It's preseason for us as well. So uh, we always have to remind customers that we also have a preseason. And then regarding the platform, what we're hoping to launch, you know, our player comparison tools, league statistics that are cumulative um, comparisons within the leagues, et cetera. Uh, just we, but, but at the same time, you know, I think it's very important that we not get too much into the analytics, which you, everybody kind of laughs about and says, what are you talking about? I don't believe in us being an analytical system for teams and for scouts, uh, particularly. I believe that we provide data and then people can take that data and do whatever they want. So we're a video library, first and foremost. And secondly, we're a buffet of data from which you can pick and choose the numbers that you want to put on your plate and utilize uh, to, to uh, drive your analytical um, quest, I suppose you could say. And from a data tracking perspective, um, do you, so do you guys, use, sorry, do you guys utilize like uh, player trackers or, you know, or do you, or do you rely on artificial intelligence? Well, that's, a, that's the hot topic, right? So artificial intelligence versus manual entry. And I am pretty outspoken actually against artificial intelligence. I don't believe it's caught up to the point yet where it can be accurate enough to really be something that people rely upon. 
And so I've never bought into the story and our sales managers as a result that we've never bought into the story that we're artificial intelligence. Is there artificial intelligence used? Yes, there is. Without a doubt, you have to, right? Because it cuts corners for you uh, that a computer can just do some things faster than a human. However, uh, in order to maintain the accuracy uh, across a whole season, and I believe that there are more people realizing this that I talked to finally, right? It's been a couple of years, but they're finally realizing that manual entry is much more accurate. And so there's more consistency to it, believe it or not. I know, well, I, I shouldn't say that. There's more consistency to the AI, but the AI might not be able to catch everything, number one, and it might catch the wrong thing over and over and over and over again, right? Yep. So you have to reteach it quickly. But with, an art, with, with manual entry, you can correct it much more quickly. And so it creates more accuracy in the long run, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I mean, and it also gives you a quality assurance layer too. So, you know, I mean, if the, you know, if your artificial intelligence, you know, doesn't catch something, you know, you, um, you know that you can always rely on a tracker, um, you know, to pick, you know, to pick up those things that the artificial intelligence um missed so yeah yes um cool cool and you guys and you guys had originated um as a um sorry as a european football platform right yeah so in 2007 it's the you know every every company has their story and our story is that uh, our ceo in 2007 was a journalist and wanted to find a more convenient way to evaluate and compare players and that was kind of the basis for the beginning of instat and he started building spreadsheets, et cetera, to compare the data. And that launched into a platform that, you know, has evolved into what you see today, which, you know, I believe is rather, I'm biased, but I believe it's rather user-friendly and intuitive uh, and actually kind of a rabbit hole for the avid user. So in terms of teams, you know, reaching out to you guys, do you, I mean, do you prefer that they, um, you, you know that they go onto your website and um you know and sorry do you prefer that they go onto your website and fill out a form or well that is one way they can do it they can go to instatsport.com and there are the requests i mean we're i would say that we're we're pretty good at reaching out to everybody you're trying to get in touch with everybody uh because if we miss well ultimately you're not doing your job and we really believe in doing your job first and foremost, right? And that's covering your own backyard, similar to a scout, right? If I'm scouting the Boston area, I better know everybody in the Boston area, or I don't deserve to be scouting the Boston area, right? So we divide our sales managers up into different areas, female, men's, hockey, whatever it might be. And they are responsible to find the contacts and contact everybody there. Now, do we miss occasionally? Yeah, it's natural. But yeah, you can go onto our website, sign up for a request, and we'll get in touch with you. But uh, also, just you know, sometimes when you see an unknown number, answer the phone, and we'll we'll be on the other end uh, trying to give you a, a demonstration of what our platform presents. Aside from your work at Inset, do you uh, sir, do you still do any um, scouting in like your free time or? No, everybody thinks that I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure. So I uh, I stay away. <laughs> no, honestly. Um, I love hockey. I love watching it. I love the junior level. I love the Canadian Hockey League. I love the USHL. I really enjoy that level of hockey uh, significantly. And whenever I have the opportunity to go visit a client or visit a game, I'm sure to be there. 
Uh, youth hockey, I like going to tournaments. For example, I'll go to the USHL showcase here in the next upcoming weeks, and I'll watch the USHL, but I'll also go to the youth rink just because, yeah, I love watching it. I love watching the sport of hockey. Nice, nice. And you guys also sponsored, I think it was the PBHH Invitational Tournament um, that, uh, sorry, that a few Erie Otters uh, players uh, and put Andrew on. Parrott, some Owen Sound kids too, and one Hamilton Bulldog, I believe, right? So, yep, yep. Um, and what, yeah, and what drew you guys to, to working with them? So it was actually, uh, I'm a really big believer in Twitter and following Twitter. So I read, I know people are going to make fun of me, but I read Twitter probably once every two hours to make sure that I see everything going on because something's going to come out. And I was just sitting there one morning and I saw that Andrew Parrott, you know, Cleveland kid. I'm also from Cleveland, uh, was putting together this tournament and I knew his youth coach. I said, Hey, can you give me his number? I'd love to be involved. And I was able to get in touch with Andrew quickly. And I met him for coffee the following day. And, you know, I hadn't met the other individuals that were helping him, but, uh, you know, being from Cleveland, I wanted to take care of him to be honest. And I thought it was a really good initiative. I really believe in the power of the players. And I believe that that will drive the game forward. Uh, that's a personal opinion, but at all levels, I think the more power the players have, the more hockey will succeed. And I want to see hockey succeed. So when he was telling me what he was doing, I said, how can I be involved? Um, and I sat there and he said, well, first of all, we need some help financially. I said, well, you know, Instat would love to sponsor this. This is a, a stance that we want to take. We want to be a part of the hockey ecosystem, as I mentioned earlier, and a positive one, a positive part at that. So this is an opportunity for us to do good. So we want to be a part of it. And this is what we'll do for you. And then from there, it was just being um, a source for him, right? Hey, Mark, what do you think of this? I think that's great, Andrew. And, you know, let me help you get a contact for that so that you can call this person or that person and we can get this. You know, can I call Rinkneck? Can I call, you know, Central Scouting? Who can I call to help you? Because I just want to be a good, as I said, a good citizen, right? And then we got to the tournament. You know, and we had set up the deal with Flow Sports and for them, you know, to, to broadcast it. And uh, we, the, the, the things that they accomplished, Andrew, and I, I apologize, but I'm failing to remember the other kids' uh, names right now. But the things the four of them accomplished just blew me away. It was really a tremendous event. And we were just so happy and thrilled to be able to be a part of it. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. Where can they find you as well as Instat? Uh, I am on Twitter at Mark Yates4, and Instat Hockey is at Instat Hockey. So pretty generic, pretty easy to follow. And, uh, yeah, anybody that wants to hop on, and I'm happy to talk to anyone. We really uh, – I appreciate your time. This has been a lot of fun, and thank you so much for having me on. Great, and thank you so much, Mark. On today's show, we have Tony Ferrari. Tony Ferrari is a – uh, prospect analyst um, and scout for the Hockey News. Tony, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, no problem, buddy. Happy to be here. I know you and I go way back, so it's uh, it's good to be here and uh, join you on your podcast on Smart Talk. Thanks, man. Thanks. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so what is your new role uh, with the Hockey News? Uh, it's pretty sweet. It's uh, it's surprisingly less work than than my old role with our prospects because I was doing a lot of the managerial stuff there and. A lot of the stuff you just get tied down on, bogged down on that you don't want to do at the end of the day. So with the hockey news, I'm, I'm back to just basically the, the good stuff, the the writing, the scouting, the video stuff. I, I just put out today uh, game tape with Tony with the Brad Lambert, and uh, that that was great. He was awesome. Like talking to him, 
Uh, he's obviously one of the top prospects for this upcoming draft. So breaking down his game and going over some of his own game tape with him in a video format was, was really fun because he he went into his weaknesses even and talked about things he needed to improve on. And I think that's really, really interesting to see in a player is seeing their kind of knowledge of their own game and in understanding how confident they are in certain aspects, because at the end of the day, like it takes it takes knowing your weaknesses to improve your weaknesses. So if you can't identify them, it's, it's important that that you're going to be able to improve them. So I, I think Brad did a really good job of that. So I definitely recommend checking that out. But yeah, like I said, it's it's the writing, it's the prospects stuff, it's uh, the scouting and all the stuff I like doing and, and a lot less of that managerial kind of back back behind the scenes stuff. Nice, nice. And what are the players do you have lined up? Uh, I mean, aside from Brad. Uh, the next one I have is actually uh, going to be his teammate, Joachim Kamel. And uh, I've got a few others on the back burner. We're kind of working on dates and stuff, so I don't want to say any names yet. But yeah, Joachim Kamel will be the next one. And it'd be nice to get two of the big Finnish prospects out of the way right of the way. So speaking of European prospects, uh, I want sorry, I want to shift to um, to the Swedes for a second and uh, talk sorry and talk about your garden uh, the, and their J20 squad. Um, I mean, they just had their season kick off and, um, you know, and they have quite a bit of 2022 talent. Including uh, Liam Ogren, uh, Noah Oslund, and uh, Jonathan Lekarimaki. Um, so yeah, so I, I I want to get your take on um, on the on the three Swedes. I think it's a really good crop again this year. I think these guys are all fun to watch. I think you look at Liam Ogren and Noah Oslund specifically, and I think those two guys are just going to be really high end prospects. We're going to see in the top twenty, top top first round easily with those two guys i could see one of them maybe even pushing into that top 10 15 range and and i think it's going to be fun to watch because they are all in that same team in your garden so i think uh our, our good buddy mikhail the new scout for smart smart scouting is, is going to be having some fun with them being local and everything to him and being on his favorite team but I, I, they're fun to watch man like in as for uh like the carry mackey just that's going to be a name that's going to take me all year to pronounce. <laughs> um, as for him, he's a guy that I didn't know much about coming into the year. So ha- having him on that year garden team really kind of let me kind of get a good view of him and go, okay, like maybe there's something more here. And I know Mikhail has been pushing him for a little while as well. So it- it's, it's really fun to watch this year garden team this year. And I think it's going to be one of the, the teams that kind of highlight the first round of this draft. Yeah. And I know, um, and I know we don't like to put a lot of stock in ter- in, uh, in terms of tournament play, but what but what did you think of Liam Ogren uh, coming out of the whole Lincoln Gretzky? I mean, he, you know, I mean, he really, really surprised me, you know, as being a dominant two way forward. And, uh, yeah. you know, and I love this play in the defensive zone, but I would definitely love to hear. I would definitely love to get your take. Yeah, I think he, he really is a really complete player. I think with both him and Ausland, you look at them and you go, well, these are like a couple of polished players. Like they're guys you're not having to worry a ton about because they do so many things so well at their position. Like it's, it's really refreshing to see two young forwards like this kind of being able to kind of play in both ends of the ice, play in the neutral zone, be, be effective in transition. And they're obviously effective to different levels in the defensive zone. I think Liam Ogren is a little bit more effective there. And whereas Ausland is a little bit more of that, that transitional guy is he'll be the guy that gets out of the defensive zone. He may not be the one that makes a play to stop the, the cycle or anything though. So it's really fun to watch these guys. And like I said, being on the same team, it's, it's, it's a big advantage for all three of them. Cause now you're going to have scouts like watching this team, like a Hawk. And next up, I want to bring up the OHL. So, um, you know, so you were, you know, so you're obviously in uh, Windsor and, uh, you know, and the Spitfires are in your neck of the woods. Um, 
so yeah, so I want to ask you, you know, um, who, you know, who are the few OHLers that you know you are in, intrigued by in terms of the the 2022 draft class? Well, I'll start with the guy that's right in my neck of the woods, and Ryan Abraham on Windsor. I think he's he's a guy that doesn't get talked about nearly enough as, as one of the OHLers to kind of watch this year. I think he, he does a lot of things well, and he plays he plays his role really well. And I think that's something you got to respect in the player. Like whether he's playing in the bottom six or he's playing in the top six, he can kind of affect the game no matter where he is in the lineup. And you you look at him and you see a lot of his the 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 compliments towards his passing game is as a playmaker, but he's got a really underrated scoring touch. He really gets to the net. He gets to those high danger areas and he doesn't have the greatest shot in the world, but he gets it off from good spots. And that's what matters a lot of times at the junior level. So I, I think there's, there's potential there because if you can get that shot working a little bit better, you can get a little bit more pep on that, that shot, then it becomes a more dangerous weapon as you move up levels. So I think that's a, a, a promising area for him, but this is a guy that competes like crazy. He's going to be a coach's favorite in Windsor. I think, I think he's, uh, Mark Savard is going to love having him on the ice and he's, he's going to work himself into some of those really imp- good situations. He's going to work himself into a top six spot. Like if Liam Foody goes back to Windsor, if you can get a guy like Ryan Abraham on his wing, I think those two are two guys that with the really high end goal scorer could really kind of dominate an offensive shift. So I think Ryan Abraham's a guy that is going to be a lot of people paying attention to, but if we're going with my favorite OHLer, I think it's Gavin Hayes. I, I don't know exactly what it is about this kid, but I've watched him so many times and he, he never loses a puck battle. He's so determined. He, he's got some size to him already. He's six foot, 170, 175 pounds. And he's got that crazy work ethic. And he's a bit raw offensively. I think you, you you see a lot of the tools pop off sometimes, but he'll he'll have two or three good shots on a shift, and then his very next shift, he he kind of like throws a, a a floater at the net, or he, he's making some nice passes on one shift, and then the next one he can't seem to hit a stick. So there are some consistency issues that you're going to need to kind of get going with him. But he's got a ton of skill, and with some refinement and, and maturity, I think he's going to be re- really entertaining in the OHL this year. I think it's going to be fun to watch him on Flint. I'm going to give Ty Nelson a big shout out because he's not getting a ton of love because we're going, Oh man, like this guy was drafted first overall a couple of years ago in the OHL draft. And, and he's not getting that, that pre-draft season. We never saw him in the OHL. He's going to be playing for North Bay and you, you go, well, we don't have anything to base on outside of that, that 15 year old season two years ago. And because of the, the OHL not playing at all last year, it's really tough for him. So and being a smaller defender, I think he's listed at 5'8", but I, I've seen reports that he's closer to 5'10", 5'11 now, so that's a good thing. He's always been a thick, stocky kid. He's going to be he's stronger than his size it indicates, and I think that's going to be a big thing for him. And, and the offensive ability and the game-breaking ability is really what makes this kid special as a defenseman. He's able to kind of do what those Jamie Drysdales, those, those uh, defensemen that we've seen come out of the OHL the last few years, are able to do, where he's able to rush up ice and, and, and make big plays and, and be a factor. And I think he's going to be a, a guy that surprises a bit this year with how much offense he puts up because he didn't get that season. And we didn't get to see him. So when he, he pops off for 40, 50, maybe even 60 points, like 60 points is probably a little bit, a bit much, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he challenged that number this year, it's, it's going to be really fun to watch this kid, especially because of you, you see the videos of him training, you see the videos of him getting bigger and stronger. And, and you're like, man, like, if this kid's finally able to kind of unleash himself on the OHL. And especially rocking the camouflage. Yeah, and I can't wait to see him next year, especially because it becomes like 20 times harder in order to like pinpoint players. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's it's crazy. Some of the jerseys in, in junior hockey, especially in the OHL and CHL in general, like you get those military nights or you get these random nights where they're like black, black numbers on a dark camouflage jersey and you're like, 
perfect. I can't see anybody. Like <laughs> it's just the worst sometimes. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, so you know, I know that last year, you know, you were incredibly high on uh, on Boston Bruins prospect Fabian Lizelle. Who is your 2022 Fabian Lizelle? Ah, uh, this is a tough one because I don't know if there's a guy at the top of the draft that I'm uh, that I'm so like just over, head over heels with like I was for, with Fabian Lucelle, but it, it might be Matthew Savoy from that he's going to be playing back in Winnipeg this year in the WHL after playing in in Dubuque with the, the Fighting Saints in, in the USHL last year. I think he's just such an electric talent. He's got so much skill. He's not the biggest player in the world, but he's got the speed, the skill, the the, the shooting ability, the passing ability. I think he's got a really complete game. He's going to need to work on his defensive game a little bit, I think, but this is going to be a guy that you're going to love watching in Winnipeg this year. He's going to be a guy that him and Connor Geeky on the same team, it's going to be so much fun to watch. And, and seeing those guys kind of go out there and put up numbers in, in the dub, it's going to be fun because we didn't get to see much of Matthew Savoy last year in, in WHL because he was kind of down, down south dominating down there. Yeah, you know, and if you pair, I mean, if you pair Connor Geeky with Matthew Savoy, Wow, I mean, that's just, well, I mean, that's just a lot of talent on that top line. And, you know, with, you know, with Connor Kiki's, you know, power forward, like, you know, rush, you know, rush mentality. Ooh, that, ooh, that could be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to it. For, and for, do you mind, you know, do you mind sharing a couple of the t- t- defensemen that you, that you seem to be higher up on? Yeah, I mean everyone's high on Simon Nemec, so I'm not gonna na- I'm not gonna name him, <laughs> but I'll go with a guy that I'm, I'm a really big fan of, and and, and that's Seamus Casey. I don't think he's getting a t- as much love as he should, but he's a guy that plays for that U.S. national team development program, and he he just understands the game of hockey, and you love watching him play. He's, he's a little bit of an undersized defenseman as well, but that the skill and the speed and the skating, um, he, he's another guy similar to to uh, a, a fan favorite of everybody's it seems to be this year in lane hudson and, and this guy's an, another guy that's gonna be ton ton of skill ton of fun to watch and you're gonna be able to see these guys in the u.s national under national team development program really put on a show because it really is gonna be a fun team to watch you're gonna see it's not necessarily that 2019 group with jack hughes and everything but it's gonna be a really fun group where you have a lot of guys from that team going in the first round and, and i think those are two guys that are gonna challenge and I remember that you were also hyping up uh, Denton Matichuk, and I pray that I said his name right because I remember, because uh, I remember after the podcast episode last time around, uh, you know we, you know we were talking afterwards, and you were, uh, uh, and, was ripping yeah, and you were joshing me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I was Josh and Josh because yeah, it's Denton Matichuk. It's my boy. Yes, I love this kid playing for Moose Jaw. Um, I can't believe I didn't mention him when you brought up defenseman. That's a complete shame on me. I need to re- revoke my, my fan card of this kid because he's a ton <laughs> of fun. Like I, I love this kid's game. He plays such a smart, interesting game. Like you see him do things that you don't see many other players do with, with just little maneuvers to get around guys. He'll use the boards on like most defensemen on the rush. He'll, he'll utilize little bounce passes and stuff. It, it's really creative and smart player tactical, really. And, and I love that about him. He's a little bit undersized at five eleven. But he's young for this draft class, too. He's a July birthday. So you're looking at him and you're like, man, like there's a lot of room to grow here. And on a Moose Jaw team that doesn't have, let's be honest, the Moose Jaw team doesn't have a ton of talent. You're going to get to see this kid play big minutes and big roles and, and at big moments. And, and man, like if he puts up some numbers and really kind of shows that he's he's one of the top defensemen, I could, he's a guy that I could see po- popping into that top 15, maybe even challenging the top 10 if he can get really, really up there because I, I love this kid. I, I have him in my top 20 right now. And, Oh, he's just. So, do you think with Denton, 
there's a sizable gap between him and someone like Tristan Luno. I don't think there is. And, I, and that's maybe just because I'm not as high on Tristan Luno as many others. But I, I think the big difference there is like NHL teams are going to see Leno and he is a little bit bigger and they're going to go. That's the guy we want. And I, and I think you look at this, the range that they're probably going to go in or the range, at least I have them in right now. And it's pretty similar. So if an NHL team does favor that right-handed shot and the, 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 the guy that's a little bit bigger at six, two, I, I could see it, especially if Leno comes back after his injury and he starts producing a, at a high level as well, because he, he's kind of ahead of schedule from what I've heard on his injury. So it's going to be interesting to see how soon he can get in because early reports were Christmas. And now we're hearing that he's going to be trying to get in for the first couple uh, weeks of the season. And, and let's see if he can, but because he's going to be a fun player to watch as well. And uh, let's shift to the NHL. Um, so, well, I think everyone looks at the the list and they go, oh, Trevor Zegras, Cole Caulfield, uh, even a guy like Spencer Knight. And you go, man, those are the guys. Those are the guys that have the leg up because Spencer Knight hasn't exhausted his rookie eligibility. And and it's funny enough, actually, last year's Calder nominee, uh, Nedeljkovic, he also didn't uh, waste up his Calder uh, eligibility. So he's actually going to be eligible for the Calder again this year. So I think you have to mention his name in there. But I'll go with a few guys that haven't been mentioned. And, and I'm kind of confused as to why. And I, I mean, around Detroit, around my neck of the woods, I, I hear more outsiders name mentioned. But this is a guy that I think is going to be really good in the NHL next year. I think he's going to be taking on a big role in Detroit because you look at the rest of that defensive crop and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, like, here's your, here's your big role. Like, cause we don't have anybody else really other than maybe Philip Aronic. And, and you look at that team and, and if he's able to kind of play above the rest of that team, which isn't going to be out outlandish by any means, I think he's going to put up some points. He's going to get on the power play. He's going to put up some numbers and he's going to do what he does, which is just destroy guys as they try to enter the zone. Absolutely hammer guys. He's going to become a fan favorite in Detroit. And you know, Detroit's going to be pushing for him for the Calder just because of how fun he's going to be to watch next year. But I think the other guy that no one's mentioning really is Quentin Byfield. Like this is the second overall pick from a couple of years ago. This is a kid that has like this unreal ceiling and talent. And uh, I think he has a chance to kind of realize some of that this year. We saw a lot of flashes of it last year in the AHL. And you saw moments of it when he was playing a couple of NHL games last year. And you're like, okay, like the, the potential is there. This is a, a big center skates like the wind has an unreal passing ability has a really good shot i just wish he would use it a little bit more and, and i think that he's a guy that really has a shot at winning this calder trophy because you look at some names ahead of him and Vasily paul colson i think is gonna be a really strong candidate because he's played a pro game he knows what he's got to do and he's going to come into vancouver and, and do what he has to do and you look at alex newhook tons of speed tons of fun tons of flash and flair but is he going to be able to adapt to the nhl right away that's a question that a lot of people have and and i think he will because I, i'm i love alex newhook i had him really high during his draft year and, and he's a guy that i think can challenge for this award too so it, it's going to be really interesting but if if i have to choose one name Going up and down this list that I, I've kind of named off, I'm, I'm going to go with Quentin Byfield. I'm going to take take the the boy I've been supporting for years and, and, and say that he's going to be the Calder winner. I think he's going to surprise some people because I, I don't know what it is. And I, I think sometimes we do know what it is, but it, it's this kid is not going to getting the respect he deserves. He's not getting the the love he deserves in the Calder conversations and stuff. I, I, I barely even heard him mentioned. So um, I, I'm on board the Quentin Byfield train, and I think he's going to be a guy that definitely has challenges for that Calder next year. Yeah, I mean, and the Kings are going to have one heck a few years down the road. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You know, they have guys like Byfield, Turk, Koblik has just put together an excellent farm system. Um, the last, so the last thing that I wanted to bring up was that, you know, you, you know, you are very, very big into music. 
Um, and so I, you know, and so I want to ask you, you know, what, you know, what music have you been jamming out to lately? All right, let's go through Tony's Spotify recently played. <laughs> this is going to be a disaster because it's a little bit of everything. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I've been listening to a lot lately is uh, Abby the Nomad. He just released an album, uh, Abby vs. the Universe. It's fantastic. It, it, it's a really personal album to him because it goes into his anxiety and his rise up to where he is right now currently. And it's kind of he talks about getting ahead of himself, kind of letting his head kind of blow up and, and get that that over ego and the confidence. And then he talks about dealing with anxiety and he talks about having to calm that that ego and everything. And it's a really interesting album. I love I love listening to it. It's a great one. Um, Another one I've been listening to recently is uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong because if I'm not mistaken, he's Swedish or he's somewhere. He's from somewhere over in, the, in Europe and it's Askier, uh, A-S-G-E-I-R. Um, he's got a couple a couple EPs out, a couple albums. It's really like a, a tragic music almost. If like you feel sad almost listening to it, but it's almost like tragically beautiful. It's, it's, it's really fun to like really not necessarily fun to listen to, but it, it's kind of something to to like sit there and absorb and vibe. It's, it's like softer rock. It's like not even rock. It's like so- softer R and B almost. It's, it's, it's an interesting album. I'll, I'll say that and, and <laughs> definitely check that out. But if you want something fun, uh, young gravy, that's a, a, a goofy ass, uh, rapper. He sings about some inappropriate stuff, but it, it's fun to listen to fun to dance to just fun to joke. And, and it's full of jokes as well. Uh, little Dickie's another one that's full of jokes. I love listening to him <laughs> watching the show, Dave. It's, it's tons of fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, anything like that and yeah if anyone ever wants music recommendations reach out to me my spotify list is just littered with stuff from every genre and i and i assume that at this point you uh so that you put the new drake album right oh god yeah the new drake album it's <laughs> very very good i've uh listened to a bunch of the songs I, i've listened to every song on it multiple times um some of them aren't as good it's a, it's a pretty classic drake album where he puts out 45 songs and half of them are really good and half of them are like you didn't need to put this on the album because there's too many <laughs> songs on this album. And uh, so it, it's a classic Drake album. The Kanye album is very much the same thing. I, I'm a big Kanye fan. I think this is, this is a really good album for him. Um, but again, like he, he puts out lots and there's not always kind of stuff that's a little bit junky in there and clunky. And sometimes you just got to remember to, if you're one of these big artists, just condense your album a little bit. You don't need uh, 21 songs mm-hmm. or 24 songs. 15 is probably good enough. You know what? And speaking of the Drake album, you know, you, you know, you need a poster of like, um, of, of, sorry, of, instead of like the cars that he has there, all, uh, all red Ferraris, man, all, all oh. red Ferraris. <laughs> oh man. The Ferraris. It's crazy that the, that's my last name. It's, it's so funny to me. People bring it up all the time and I'm just like, oh yeah, like I forgot it's a car company. Cause like for me, it's just so like, just used to being my last name. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tony. Um, but do you, sir, but do you mind sharing um, with our listeners um, where, sir, um, sir, where they can find you on? Sorry, do you mind sharing with our listeners your Twitter handle? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari, um, spelled just like the cars we just discussed. Uh, that's where all my work is. I'm always posting about prospects or music or random dumb things too. So just sports in general, but. Yeah, usually that's all where all my work is, all my tweets about prospects, videos and stuff. And thank you so much, Tony. Well, thank you so much for listening to our show. And I, I hope you enjoyed the interviews with Tony Ferrari of the Hockey News and Mark Yates from Instat. A few of the North American Hockey Leagues will be starting back up again over the coming weeks, uh, including the QMJHL, 
the OHL, the WHL, and the USHL, as well as the NAHL, which is having a showcase this week. So, so yeah, so definitely make sure that you have your hockey TV and your CHL live subscriptions ready to go because hockey is coming your way soon. And, uh, and Paul and Jordan, thank you guys so much for joining me once again. Uh, I, I get to hang out with a, uh, sorry, with another New York Mets fan who is either grieving or happy at the, at the same time. And I get to hang out with my, uh, with my Ottawa Senators, uh, fan buddy, Jordan Millette, 